This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Yes, good evening. It's me, Ben Thomas, on the Tuesday Twilight Show. Uh, back again after a little hiatus um, for, for various reasons, really. Um, I've got Becky Birchloff on the show tonight. We're going to be talking about poor curriculum and all things uh, English uh, and maths, basically. So we're going to be getting into that in just a moment on the Tuesday Twilight Show with me, Ben Thomas. This is TV. You are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Yes, good evening, everybody. I hope you're all good and having a good week so far. It's um, it's kind of crazy how the time goes, really, isn't it? It's quite frightening how quickly it all uh, all disappears. But we are well into March now, and we are uh, very close to Easter, actually, in some some situations in some schools up and down the country. Um, I hope you're having a good week. We're back with the Tuesday Twilight Show to talk about all things core curriculum. Um, I've got a colleague of mine, luckily for her, uh, I've managed to kind of rope her into the show uh, this evening to talk about core curriculum um, and kind of the stuff that she does in in school, really, and, and kind of how her experiences have, have led her to this point. So I'm hoping that she's on the I think she is. Becky, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? You sound, you sound very different online. It's really interesting. Oh, really? My phone yeah, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, yeah, your phone voice. I'm wondering what I'm thinking, like, in terms of how my voice sounds. Maybe, do I sound like this when I'm teaching? I don't know. Um, yeah, so firstly, how are you? Good. I think we're both getting over a cold, but we're getting getting past it. Yeah, well, well mine was definitely a lot worse than yours. Um, so I'll, I'll take that <laughs> one for sure. Um, so we've uh, onto the show, which, which has been quite good, really, because I've had you know, various guests, but I haven't had someone who has been kind of in charge of core curriculum solely. So um, it's good to kind of talk about all these things and, and kind of what you're doing with, with us, um, what that kind of looks like in, in our school, but also kind of your experiences, really. Um, so kind of on that note, um, just give us a little background into, you know, how long you've been teaching, what kind of experiences you've had, um, and the kind of the the depth and breadth of of um you know of, of your teaching experiences basically yeah so i think i think this is my eighth year teaching um <laughs> i kind of get confused going back through all the academic years but um yeah so i think this is my eighth year when i i did a pgce and when i did my pgce i um i chose to do a math specialist one because i was always interested in maths um from quite early on in, when I went to school, it was always my favourite subject. Um, so I always did a math, I chose to do a math specialist course. And then I did my NQT year, which I think now is ECT year. Um, mm. And that was in Birmingham. So I did all my training and my my first few years in Birmingham. And I joined a school and uh, it was in a very deprived area. Um, didn't know much, much about the school when I joined. Um, and learnt very, very quickly, um, particularly as a teacher, because I had to. There wasn't 
um, a lot of structure in the school. Um, and I learned very, very quickly what I wanted to be as a teacher. And then I moved on from that school and joined another school. And at that school, they didn't have a maths lead. So I quickly became a maths lead there. And that was in my second year of teaching. Um, so it was quite a big responsibility quite early on. Um, but the head teacher was really brilliant. He, he helped me a lot with that. Um, and I kind of shadowed him for the first few months. And I was always in Upper Key Stage 2. But at that school, I started to work a lot more in Year 6 and um, did a lot of work with them, which is slightly different to the teaching that I'd done in all the other year groups. And then I relocated four years ago. Well, yeah, coming up to four years ago. Um, and now I work with you and I'm the in charge of the core curriculum. Um, I specifically look at maths and English, but I kind of am curriculum lead as well. So I, I like to dip in and out of some of the other subjects. Has it really been four years? This is my fourth year that, yeah, there, yeah. Wow. I can't yeah, believe in, Yeah. I the think. stuff we've been through in four years. I mean, we, you know, I, I say this obviously, you know, to Louisa about stuff, but we could write a book at some point, you know, in yeah. terms of all the stuff that we've been through. So, yeah, interesting. So with your, so obviously we're, you know, we're part of a mat now um, in terms of school we work in. Were you, were you always part of the particular trust or did you start off in like an LEA school and then move to the trust? Yeah, so I I started off in an LEA school Um and that was my first year and a half. And then I moved to the trust that we're with now. And then I've always been working for that same trust. Okay. And that's, I mean, I, I guess like it, it's tricky, isn't it? Because I, you know, I joined, I joined this particular trust. Uh, like you, I lose a year, maybe six years ago, seven years ago. I can't remember, to be honest. Um, it seems like a long time ago. It probably is really. But it's, it's one of those things where you get... I think it's really good that, that people have experiences of working for both, you know, if, if you're in kind of the state sector, you're working for LEA, but also, um, uh, you know, Matt schools as well, if, if that's what you want to go down. So it's really, really good that there's a, there's an opportunity to be able to, um, you know, to, to get that mix up really, which is, which is quite cool. Um, so obviously you relocated to, to arguably one of the greatest places on earth in, in Reading, which is where we are, where we currently are in terms of coming to you live. Um, how have you, how did you find the move like geography wise, but also just in terms of the way that, you know, when you joined our school, how we were doing things compared to your previous setting? How was that? Yeah. So, um, the move was was quite a shock for me because I'm I'm originally from North Wales. This is as far south as I think I've been. Um, <laughs> and those, those little snippets of your of your accent come into your teaching sometimes, which is really funny. Like, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder what word she's going to come out with and um, you know and go for it. So yeah, it's quite yeah. it's quite interesting listening to you. Really, it's, it's... yeah, I I think I get used as an example quite a lot in phonics because I do different sounds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so I um I really enjoyed Birmingham and I I moved there when I went to university I really enjoyed living in that city and then I moved here um and I I do enjoy it I do like it down here but it was a bit of a shock at, the, at first mm. um in terms of like the school um I'd say the first school that I worked in um which is local authority school that's more similar to the school we were in now. Okay. Um, 
it was really high levels of children with EAL. Um, it was in a, in a deprived area. We had um, quite a lot of different kind of cultures and different mixes. And um, it, it was, yeah, more similar to this one now. Um, and then the, the school I went to, second school I went to in Birmingham, that had a different kind of um, context around it as well, because um, in Birmingham, it was kind of on the border between two different areas in Birmingham and you got influences from both areas. And that was really interesting to have in the classroom. Um, and we had lots of different discussions around that. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I guess it's <clears throat> teaching is one of those things where, you know, it sounds obvious, but it's such a transferable skill and, you know, you could take a school in, I don't know, Brighton and, and kind of almost replicate it in Rotherham, for example, like the challenges are going to be very, very similar in, in kind of a lot of areas of the country. But I think, you know, certainly in my experience of working with, with people that have relocated, like you, sometimes you forget the human toll in terms of actually going, right, I've just literally left an area that I was really comfortable with. And now I'm like, bang, dropped in, kind of air dropped into this area that I don't really know. But I've also got to get, you know, got to get to know the kids and, and the area and, and, the, and the parents and everything else. Yeah, so, you really want to get to know it, the families. Um, yeah. Because you kind of build that relationship with the families. If you teach the siblings and things like that, you, you start to really get to know them. Um, and one of the biggest things that I found that I kind of didn't expect being in year six was obviously they find out about their secondary schools and that for that first year that I'd moved to Reading and I, they were telling me these secondary schools and I had no idea of where these schools were um, because I'd just moved there. Yeah. So it was very kind of difficult in that sense of just trying to get my own geography of the place. Um, but yeah. That's something I've kind of... And you sort of end up doing like a drive around, don't you, in terms of like the local area and you yeah. know, kind of where, the, where these kids are going and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, all that is really, really important kind of, um, you know, contextual information. Yeah, absolutely. Just so you can you can hold the conversation. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, get excited with them and commiserate with them in some cases, I guess. I don't <laughs> know. Um, but so you kind of, a um, little bit of a spoiler there. So you mentioned that you work in or are, are currently teaching a year six class. Yes. What, you know, you talked about your, um, you know, your experiences leading up to this point. What, for those people that don't know you, what does your current role look like at the moment? So currently, I think the, the biggest part of my day at the moment is teaching year six. Um, that is kind of where I'm based. And then um, my overall as curriculum lead is i lead the english and the math so reading writing and maths um and then it's the support and development of the curriculum leaders as well for all of the wider curriculum subjects um yeah. and kind of making sure that that they are confident and have ownership of their subject too i mean we'll <clears throat> we'll kind of get into what that looks like a little bit more later on but you know in terms of if we focus on the year six um element for a minute you know how since kind of covid and um you know the pandemic well, not covid because it's still around but you know the pandemic and the lockdown how have you found um <clears throat> the kind of the whole process of the assessment element of, of being in year six because you know we i remember we, we kind of sat there and we was like oh you know it's, it's going to change and it's all going to be different but but you know nothing really has has it no it's 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 different it's funny how quickly things have kind of gone back because when I first moved to Reading, 
um, that would have been the first year that um, we we didn't do SATs. And I mm. remember um, you coming into my classroom and saying that, you know, the schools were going to close and things like that and the, the pandemic and, you know, how what impact that would have on the SATs and these children's end of key stage assessments. And then, you know, the following year, also not having them. And then last year, then going back to doing SATs and how we can make sure that we acknowledge that the pandemic did happen and that it did have an impact for these children. Um, but they mm -hmm. still had that expectation of the assessment at the end of key stage two. And so did year two and, you know, the, how we can kind of support and navigate around that because they obviously, you have to recognize that a huge pandemic did happen for these children and then um, the expectations that they had upon them as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could we could do a whole separate show on on kind of assessment in school since the pandemic. Maybe that may actually maybe that is a really good show we could do potentially. I don't know, um, <clears throat> but in terms of how things have moved forward, it's not it's almost gone like for like in terms of what it was previously. So it's you know forgetting the fact I work with you. If I was doing this podcast with someone I didn't know and they said, "Oh, I'm a year six teacher and I lead core curriculum across the school," you know, they're they're, they're not they're not small tasks, are they? And that's not me saying, oh, well, it, you know, no one else in the school works hard because that's not the case at all. But in terms of the two, you know, two chunky parts of, of school life, those those things are quite big, right? Yeah, they are quite big. Um, they are two very separate roles as well, and but they kind of merge in different ways. Um, but yeah, they are they are big roles in school. And like you said, everyone works hard. So it's just about trying to... Um, to use that a little bit as well and make sure that you know each class and each child is getting what they what they deserve to have really so yeah it it's hard to kind of navigate it's not an easy thing to do to do both both roles um mm. but i think because that's where my passion lied and you know where i kind of set myself up from from the beginning um particularly with maths that you know i'm quite driven and, and interested in around it and it's what I'm reading about and um and things like that so yeah well that, that, I mean let's focus in on a little bit of that passion really because you know obviously it's, it's very evident I don't want to keep banging on about it but obviously I, I see you day to day I see what the kids produce and I see how how you run things so it's, it's very evident maths is uh for you um you know in terms of when you started out as a kind of a core curriculum lead was it was it one of those situations where they went all right well you can do maths but you can also just do english as well or did you kind of you know pitch ideas to do english did it kind of happen organically like how did how did that come about really yeah so when i first started off uh, in birmingham i was just just maths lead um and that kind of developed from i had that passion originally um and that that had come from back when i was in school um i'd always loved maths um, I quite liked the structure of it. I liked my teachers in maths. I liked the lessons that I had in maths. Um, so I al al always had that and I kind of wanted to share that because I was, um, my undergrad, my undergraduate degree was all on childhood and um, teaching and education. And I was with my peers who a lot of them went on to be teachers and it, I was quite, 
um, aware of the fact that it wasn't always like that for teachers, that they didn't always favour maths in that way at school. Mm. Um, and I did, so I kind of wanted to show that and, you know, that it, do, it doesn't have to be difficult all the time. Um, yeah. And it doesn't have to be this kind of big subject. Um, and then, yeah, when I was at that school, I was really lucky that the year six teacher that I was then working very closely with as I developed more into year six. She was the English lead and I learned so much from her um, and her leadership of English and the grasp that she had of the subject. She was incredibly knowledgeable about the subject knowledge, but also the way that she could break it down and how she could make it into different steps and communicate that with the children and the staff and make it a really accessible subject because for me that was the subject that I found most difficult so when I kind of saw her do that I was really inspired by it and then when I came to the school we're at now um, and speaking to some of the leaders there they said about the opportunity for English as well and I kind of jumped at the opportunity a little bit because I, I felt like I'd learned so much previously and I, I wanted to start doing a little bit of this myself um, and try and trying out these different ideas and making them apply to the children that we had at our school to make it meet their needs and how it mm -hmm. could be kind of the same but a little bit different at the same time so that it was really for them and where they were coming from and the experiences that they had had. Um, so then I kind of jumped at that opportunity, still loved maths and really passionate about teaching year six. So kind of just ended up doing, doing all three. <laughs> yeah. You just, you just go, yeah, you just, just crack on and, and do all three. It'll be fine. Yeah. You, you won't be tired or anything. It'll be, it'll work really well. <laughs> I think, um, it, it's funny, isn't it about maths because it, for a subject that's basically so black and white and rigid, there's actually a lot of flexibility in how you present those ideas and obviously, you know, if I think back to, to my time when I first started as a NQT, um, that's ECT if you are new to the profession and you are currently an ECT, we had we used a scheme called Abacus, which was basically like pick up the textbook, page whatever, activity, you know, A for these kids and B for these and so on. And it was all on like a laminated sheet. And it was just really bizarre because you'd lift, you know, in those days, like people were hell-bent on producing, you know, reams and reams of of um paper planning and all this sort of stuff but you'd literally just copy and paste the document from abacus and stick it into your maths plan and i you know a, a lot of things i'd look back and go how did, how did people ever get away with that because you know there's no there's no flexibility in that that's just literally teaching to type so um yeah i think i think you're right there is a lot of really good maths practitioners out there and and i think it often is the case that when you've had good experiences, certainly in secondary school, you've had good teachers for maths and people have shown you different ways of, of solving problems that kind of sticks with you. Um, and it, you know, you'd think actually like writing's a bit more creative fluid, but actually, you know, in the last sort of five, six years, I'd say that probably maths is, is potentially on a par maybe you know, overtaken in some situations you know what with the the grammar expectations and the kind of the the quantifying of different subjects within that so yeah it's it's an interesting one and I think the thing people forget is that you can be a core curriculum but the subjects in a lot of respects are very very different and they require you know different levels of input with with people 
Um, but the, the the thing about it, and I, I was always amazed with with people that are you know that manage core curriculum in schools, is that you have to keep on it all the time because it's such a regular um, occurrence in a school day. You know, you'd, you'd end up teaching what five, six maths lessons a week, probably. Same with with writing, same with reading, depending on whether you're in interventions. Whereas if you're kind of looking after you know, geography, and I'm not, I'm not intending to upset any geography <laughs> leaders that might be listening, but you know, that might be, that might be taught on a timely basis that might be taught, you know, once a week. So it's kind of the, the input and the the focus on those three subjects is quite intense, right? Yeah. And I think, I also think that's kind of what's exciting about it. And um, because there's so much focus on it and you're spending so much time on, of your day and on the timetable, the children really make such progress and the progression from when they come in at nursery or reception and when they leave mm. at year six, because so much time and energy has gone into those subjects, you know, it's amazing the the progress that they can make and, and what some of the expectations of some of the year six children now of what they can produce. And particularly sometimes I think it stands out with writing. Some of the writing that these children can produce is really outstanding. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, because of so much going into those subjects. And I think that's kind of what's a little bit exciting about it. Um, but yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right that it is always going to be a focus of the school. Um, you know, particularly I'll, I'll mention Ofsted first, but with the new frameworks and things, you know, reading, reading yeah. is everywhere and everything if you can't if you can't access the reading then you're going to struggle with the rest of the curriculum so i think it it really does show the importance of these subjects um, and why so much time is on them but you're right you have to be on it because they are going to be incredibly important subjects and i guess as well like in in some respects you know, and we'll kind of come on to challenges in a bit, but it kind of depends on the experiences and the, you know, the career levels of, of the people you're working with, because some people might need, you know, a, a light touch. Some people might need quite an intensive course of this is how we're going to teach it. This is what your kids are going to access in your class and so on and so on and so on. So I guess, you know, from, from your point of view and other core curriculum leaders point of view, it's, it's really dependent on, on you being clear on your expectations and then making sure that people, um, you know, follow them basically. So in terms of the monitoring, it's quite, I always found it when I did the core curriculum, I found the monitoring the most time because not only have you got to kind of walk in for a period of lesson or, or lesson times or whatever, but actually you've got to go in and, and kind of really feedback and, and kind of go, look, you can improve this element. You can do this, you can do that. So it's, it's difficult. It's a really difficult role. And I think when you're teaching full-time, whether that's in year six, year one, whatever, it's, it's an intensive, you know, part of, part of school life really. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in terms of where you're at now and what you're doing, kind of what would you say are the, I guess the challenges of what you're doing at the moment? Um, I guess that's the key point really in terms of how that's that's running and how that looks in terms of your day-to-day -day professional life you know what are the key challenges that you face and and obviously don't say me <laughs> <laughs> um so I think because of where we're at like you said it's not about 
implementing whole new structures. It's not about implementing new curriculums. You kind of mentioned Abacus and the different um, like schemes that you can have. And obviously, particularly with maths, there's a whole wide range of schemes you can buy into. We're not at that stage. We're, you know, we we know what we're doing and we've got those systems in place. But like you kind of suggested, it's more about the monitoring and the upkeep and making sure that you are maintaining those standards. Um, mm. And it is very different for the different teachers that you have in the school and, and also the different year groups because each year group comes with different challenges. So it is you know, more time consuming in the fact that you're probably going to be giving more individualized feedback. It's not whole school kind of applicable feedback. You're going to be going in and monitoring and, and, and things like that. And I think one of the biggest changes that I've definitely seen over the eight years as, as a, as a maths lead, um, is the focus of that monitoring, you know, the very first, um, Ofsted that I went through, um, which was in my my NQT year or my ECT year, there was no interest in talking to in talking to the pupils or um, sitting with the pupils and their and their books and having that conversation with them around their learning. It was mm-hmm. very much a, we're going to watch your lesson, we're going to grade your lesson, um, and we'll, we'll do that to you. It was it wasn't really done with you. Um, and I remember those experiences and now I think back and I think how different it is now, how I how I conduct my monitoring and going in and, and talking to the pupils. And I might take a, a small group of them with their books and kind of ask them about how their maths is going or their reading or, or what what in what are they reading? What are they writing? Um, and also feeding back those conversations to the staff to the staff, um, because sometimes what the children have got out of it is very interesting. Yeah, I think that's, that is interesting about Ofsted because I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be a, an Ofsted apologist here. I mean, I've had good and bad experiences with them, but I think you're right in terms of the actual, the methodology behind analysing a particular, um, you know, part of the core curriculum, there is a lot more focus on, you know, talking to the children. And I think that's kind of filtered through all the way in terms of actual whole school monitoring and and kind of the way in which uh, internal adults interact with those children. I think that's that's a really good change and a really important one, really. Um, we're going to, I'm going to play uh, a message from our sponsors and they're going to come back and we're going to talk about kind of the difference between implementing and then maintaining uh, parts of the core curriculum so don't go anywhere this show is brought to you in partnership with john cat educational a leading publisher of books directories educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the uk and beyond have you checked out their latest releases don't miss out visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today Happy reading. Happy reading indeed. Um, so we're gonna gonna have a little chat about not too much about what you know where we are as a school, because obviously we both know, hopefully. Um, but you know, kind of the, the difference between implementing a big change, you know, and kind of going, right, we're gonna take on, you know, X uh scheme of work for maths, or we're gonna follow this particular reading pattern, you know, all the way through our school as opposed to kind of introducing it and then maintaining it. So 
you know, I know from from working with you over the last four years, which I, I still can't believe really, um, that you've you've had a, an opportunity to do both. I suppose the easy question or the, the straightforward question, the closed question, is presenting it or maintaining it. So I think when it comes to the implementation, um, particularly I think when you're choosing those schemes and that um it's always about the intent and you, you that's the folk got to be the focus of what are your intentions with these and and do they match the context that you're in? um mm. and then i think when it comes to maintaining it you know everybody's on board with your intent and everybody understands your intent or hopefully they would do if you've you've implemented it um properly and then it's about refining it and it's about um making sure that you're getting the most out of it you're making it the most efficient and the most effective as it can be um particularly when we think about teacher workload and we think about different things going on in the schools and the different pressures that we've got you want to make it as efficient and as effective as it can be and i think then it comes down to the cpd that you're giving and the quality cpd that's actually applicable for each member of staff um, so both come with their challenges i think I think it's it, it it's kind of you know as I've got older and kind of more experienced, the more you realise that kind of managing and running a school and and kind of managing any subject is exactly like having a class um, with more opinions, I guess, because actually, you know, what you're doing, as you say, there is like you're looking at people and going, okay, but they're going to need a bit more of this. This person's going to need a bit less of this. But it's it always comes back what your your children are in a classroom, whatever academic ability they're working at that it does come down to the intent in terms of how you're going to get across you know the hows and whys and the reasons for doing it in a certain way um and i and i guess in in your thinking about your career have you ever come up against you know like a lot of resistance when you're changing things or have you had people maybe kind of on slt or or in the school where they're kind of persuading you to do things in a certain way by taking on schemes or whatever? Yeah. So I think there's definitely been times in my career where it's been more challenging when you want to make those changes. Um, you know, becoming a maths lead in, in my second year, I was less experienced and I was younger than a lot of the, the people I was working with. And that definitely came across, as some of the challenges that I had because I was in a school where you know people had been working in that school for a long long time and they knew the the children inside out and you know they were very much like well well why do we have have to go through the change or, or um just kind of wanting to, to delve into it a little bit deeper mm. and then um so that was one of the challenges that I've definitely faced but I think as long as you as long as you know why you want to do it and and you can communicate that i think i've been really lucky in the sense that people have kind of got on board with that um and then i think definitely you know i've i've been working as like you said in an slt where there's different opinions on on schemes of work and things like that and i've i've used the same scheme of work in different schools and i've seen how it it can be a brilliant brilliant scheme of work that meets the needs of the children and it works really really well and then I can use the same scheme and it, it not work as well 
Um, and I think that's why you've really got to come back to the intent and looking at the the context that you're in. And like you said, almost analysing it like a class of what are the needs here and does it meet those those specific needs? Yeah, I mean, it's, <clears throat> it, it is a tough one, isn't it? Because I... I, you know, obviously, when I was, I was writing questions for you in a kind of a loose agenda, I I kind of thought, actually, do you know what? It's a lot harder to, or I feel in my experience, to maintain something and to go, okay, well, we're at this point, it, it's working, you know, so well or whatever. How are we going to get it to the next stage and and kind of moving that, you know, that good to great scenario to kind of thing um, in in terms of how we how we move stuff forward. I I think my only conclusion that I can draw from that, you know, tough question is that actually it's, it's really about your staff and how motivated they are to kind of not rest on their laurels and to kind of, to move the whole thing forward, not just for themselves, but obviously more importantly for the children and the kind of the ethos of the school really. So I think it's, I, I, my only conclusion that I can draw from that is it kind of depends on the setting and where, where schools are at in terms of their journey to, to be able to, to improve standards or, or obviously maintain standards as well, really. Um, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of, of how you've, you've coped with those different stages of, of implementing and maintaining, you know, you, you talk briefly about uh, when you're, when you're implementing, it's really important you get the vision across. It's really important that you talk about the intent, you know, schools will call it roadmap plans, whatever it is. What, what kind of tips have you got for people that might be listening to this and considering or looking to want to do a core curriculum leadership in the future or are currently kind of early on in their career in terms of core curriculum leadership? What what tips would you give them to, um, you know, implement something first of all? Um, I think I think you've really got to to kind of deep dive deep into what are you trying to do with your core curriculum and and what is the context of your school and the setting that you're at and the staff that you're working with um and i think as soon once you know that inside out then and and back to front and everything you'll you'll kind of be able to make those changes or see those changes that you want to make um mm. i think definitely spending time in just exploring the different options that you've got and um, the needs that you've got and the different options you've got in terms of if you're going to be bringing in a scheme, if that's the change you're going to be implementing. Um, and really exploring those in depth because kind of once you're with a scheme, you, you, you're you going to be sticking with that scheme. So um, you want to make sure that it really is going to meet the needs that you've got in your school and for your staff. Um, and that you can articulate that with them as well. I've, I've been very lucky with the the staff that I've worked with. Like you said, that you know you want to be working with staff that aren't going to rest on their laurels when they're maintaining things, or that they're they're open to these changes. And in in my past experience, I think if you can communicate the expectations and you can communicate why you want to make those changes, staff will be on board with you, and that that motivates them too. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's like going on that journey, isn't it? Really, I guess in terms of 
you know, in terms of how um, how you articulate things, how you want to move things forward, really. In terms of then kind of maintaining those standards, like what's, what's your top tips for that? Because as I said earlier, I, I kind of feel like that is more difficult um, to be able to to maintain those standards, to be able to go, okay, well, we're here. How do we get higher up? You know, what what's our, our process for that? So what kind of tips have you got to, to kind of share for, for maintaining standards? Yeah, I think like you've said, I think it is I think it is more tricky um, because it's very easy to kind of, you know, go everything's great, this is working really great. Um, but in terms of maintaining the standards, I think you've got to be really, really focused with what you're what you're monitoring and, and what you're kind of looking for in your monitoring. And if you're going to do the pupil voice or you're going to be looking in books what what specific things are you looking for because then if you've got specific things that you're looking for you can give that specific feedback and like we before the the feedback is going to be very individualized at this point because you're going to have teachers who need that light touch and you're going to have teachers that you kind of are going to need to give more support to mm. and if you're really specific with what you've got in your monitoring and you can give that specific feedback, you, you can meet the needs of those teachers as well. Um, and you can make sure that their standards are, are high and maintaining those high standards as well. And it's not about overhauling things, but it's not about letting it go stagnant either. It's about making sure that you're constantly kind of trying to get that extra 10% out of, out of those subjects. I think that's the thing as well, is that you don't want it to get, so, you know, you could follow a scheme of work for maths, for example, and I'm not going to mention any because it's not, it's not a sponsored show. If we accidentally do, it's not because we're pitching for them. It's just because it comes up in conversation, just so people are clear on that. But like in terms of, of the structure of some of the lessons within those schemes that are available um, to purchase, if you wish, you know, it's, it's kind of making sure that, okay, this is the structure. This is what we expect as a whole school, but actually we don't want it to get boring for our pupils. And I think, you know, obvious thing to say, but the best teachers I've ever seen are people that are really engaged and have a passion for, for what they're doing really. Um, like, you know, in terms of, of when you are monitoring, particularly in, in the stage of your career at the moment where you're kind of maintaining a particular, ethos a particular mindset you know what what for you is the most important part of knowing that what you're doing is working don't say Ofsted obviously <laughs> but like no, not, not Ofsted I think yeah I think the the I mean definitely one of the most rewarding things that happens is when I am doing my monitoring and I am talking to the pupils you see how much they love learning that subject and you see how proud they are of the achievements that they've made in that subject. And that definitely, you know, spurs me on to keep keep striving for that, really, because that's at the end of the day why we're here. Mm. Um, and, and monitoring does give you that opportunity to kind of sit back and reflect and actually see these children and, and how far they have come, especially if you know them maybe historically or you've seen how the journey that those individuals have gone on and you know that that's because they've now got that curriculum that's meeting their needs and they've got teachers that are confident with what they are delivering and and passionate like you said passionate about what they're delivering and um kind of like you hinted at there there's lots of schemes particularly for the core subjects that you can purchase um 
And it's really important sometimes that you do have that structure. One of the things that I've definitely found in my experience is that the pupils like to know what they're expecting. Um, they can kind of expect their their math lesson's going to look a little bit like this or their writing lesson's going to look a bit like this because that gives them the confidence that they need sometimes. But yeah, like you said, teachers also need to have that confidence to go, hang on a minute, this is what we need to do. Um, and we can do that because that's going to meet those children's needs. And then it all culminates then when you do your monitoring, you see those children and they're proud of everything that they've done or, you know, their opinion of a subject has changed. Um, or that they can they can talk about how they've been helped in that subject. I think you know, <clears throat> always focusing on the the experiences of of people that are doing it day in day out is obviously the most important thing about it. Um, I th- I think, you know, certainly in my experience, there's there are easier ones to monitor in terms of you know success rates and attainment and and how kind of things are moving probably a bit more formulaic than maybe other areas of the core curriculum I mean in in terms of where you're at and and what you do out of the three so maths writing and uh reading I nearly forgot then (laughs) nearly said phonics um you know in terms of those three which ones do you find you know the most rewarding to to monitor and and kind of analyze i guess um, and which one out of those three do you think actually do you know what this it's a little bit more tricky because of xyz um i think it is quite specific to the setting I de- definitely where i am i think the ones that i find most rewarding are, are the maths and the reading um maths i find really rewarding because we've made some changes to maths and i can see that the impact that those changes are having and like you said about the people who teach them day in day out and I can see how um, it's more effective and more efficient for those people and how the children are getting so much more out of it Um, so that's definitely quite easy to monitor because there's been a specific change and you can see the impact that that change has had Um, in terms of the reading um, I think that's also really powerful to monitor and, and, and kind of get information about because it's such a big subject and it's so all-encompassing there's children who are going to really love non-fiction and there's children that are going to love fiction or or different things about re- there's something there for everybody to like um mm. they just have to find it so you can always have those conversations with the children because it's just about opening up different experiences and different worlds to them through reading um, and once you're kind of teaching those reading skills then more and more experiences become available to them I think with writing, like you said, it's kind of become a little bit different as, you know, a subject and the focus on the grammar and the spellings and things like that. It can be a little bit more difficult to monitor sometimes um, Mm. because it covers so much. There's so much that is kind of covered in that subject and how closely it is linked to reading and how closely it's linked to the experiences that the children have and how that can impact on their writing and the different things that they can write about and the vocabulary that they have and their confidence with writing about different things as well. I think writing always for me was was tricky because it was 
it still is, you know, to a point. It's very ambiguous. It's very open to interpretation. It's very personal in terms of of how people, you know, class teacher invested in their children and and the the life experiences they've had. And I I distinctly remember being an NQT and and we'd have fairly regular um, writing moderation sessions. You know, it it was a three form entry school. And I, I remember doing that as a whole kind of staff. And these things were going for hours. Like people would, it would almost end in like fist fights because people were like, no, if you look at this grid, it says this and blah, blah, blah. And people like really kind of go into bat for their kids in terms of where they personally felt they were. And then someone would chip in with, you know, difference of opinion and, and all this sort of stuff. I think, I think now it's a little bit easier because of the, I say the importance, but the kind of the greater scrutiny and the greater kind of rigidity that you have with, with grammar and, and kind of the assessment there. Um, but in some respects, I think it is a lot harder because I feel like the teaching profession and teachers in general have to give a lot more in writing because the life experiences of children, and I know it depends on the area that you teach in and you know where you are in terms of an economic um, area, but children don't have or seem to have the same life experiences that they had, which kind of helps to writing and helps to vocabulary and kind of the whole environment that they 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 kind of live in really so i feel like teachers really do have to work a lot harder to get across the thing and the way that they're presenting which i guess you know has a knock on effect to how you monitor it um and how you how you judge assessment of those teachers i guess yeah i think you're right i think definitely with the writing it, there's still you know open to interpretation and i still go to different moderation meetings and there's still people who have different opinions um but yeah i think one of the biggest um barriers that people face is that those life experiences might not be there um and the vocabulary that they bring to the children and particularly when we look at things like greater depth and the, the expectations there um you know these children have to have such um creativity and flair with their writing and they can only get that through different experiences and reading as well and 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 the opportunities that they have for though for reading and the different books that they've got um so yeah it's it's really kind of closely linked with so many different areas um mm. and you know to spend a lot of time on on writing you've also got to get a subject that these children have experience of, but also that they're interested in and that they're passionate enough to write about. And that can be quite difficult when you've got a whole class of, of 30 children and you're trying to inspire them all to, to do this piece of writing that, you know, you want to get them to write. So it, it can be, there can be lots of different barriers to writing. And I think it is, it is difficult in that sense. And then you can have those, different subjective views on it of of which you know where this where they can write and i think because of that and because of the scope of writing you know we've got some brilliant writers who can really struggle with spelling or you've got some brilliant writers who can really struggle just getting it down on a page and handwriting and the scope of the subject means that it is a little bit trickier it's almost like the system stifles creativity isn't it Honestly, who would have thought that would have been the case? <clears throat> um, just just before we go to news, because we're kind of about halfway through, incredibly, we're approaching fifty minutes, which is which is quite phenomenal. Um, you know, back in the day, 
core curriculum leaders would be given a budget and uh, the, the budget would be kind of in most cases separated between maths, reading and, and if you were very lucky, writing as well. Obviously, that that's changed somewhat. But in terms of, you know, not just your current role now, but in terms of your experiences, because you... I say you're fairly new, you know, you're approaching 10 years, which isn't really, but in terms of the way that, you know, the education system has been in the time that you've been teaching, do you, do you find resourcing and kind of generating ideas to resource um, difficult or is it quite a straightforward process for you? I think it's quite subject specific. I find that there's a lot of different options for maths, for example, um, and priced at different at different rates as well and there's different things that you can do, go with maths um and different options that you've got i think for reading and writing there's definitely resources out there um but it can be a little bit trickier navigating those and trying to to pick out the quality resources that are going to be re- have a real meaningful impact um mm. And I think that can depend on the context that you've got and the school that you've got and the staff that you've got, but also the direction you want to take those subjects, um, which, which is always kind of informed by your cohort and your your staff and, and the context that you're in. So I think it does depend on different subjects. Um, I'm forever looking at different things and different options that you could kind of purchase if you if you wanted to or the school had the budget for. Um and yeah, it's it's really interesting to see what's out there, um, and the different options that you've got, um, and the different directions that people have taken those those resources in as well. Mm. I, think, I think you know. <clears throat> Go on, sorry. Sorry, I think it's just difficult because it's not a one size fits all when it comes to reading or 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 writing, and I think yeah. because those those subjects have those complexities it can be really important to just make sure that you're picking quality resources. Well, I think reading's that for me, like reading's the, even as a class teacher, when I wasn't involved in, in core curriculum, even sort of up to two years ago, you know, I just remember having conversations with you about the books that were on the, you know, the, the, the curriculum map, I didn't mention the name of it, but it was like these, these children just cannot relate to these characters, this particular timeline, to the language used, you know, it, it's just completely alien to them and it, it becomes pointless really. Um, and other times, you know, you could pick up a book about a granny that's a little bit of a criminal and then, you know, realise that that someone in your, your, your class has had, you know, a death in the family of a grandparent and that becomes, you know, that book becomes redundant because you don't want to bring up, you know, sort of emotional trauma. So I think I think reading is really difficult because it's the kind of the one resource that you stick with for a prolonged period of time in terms of, a you know, a class book or, you know, um, kind of the reading skills element of the curriculum and stuff like that. So it, it becomes very difficult, I think, with reading. And I always found that really tough because if it's a book that you just like, this is just not going anywhere and it's not, it's really difficult to read and the kids aren't really relating to it you can dress it up any way you want, but ultimately they've got to be kind of invested in the characters. And, you know, we know as adults when pick up a book and you can just tell within, well, I can within the first chapter or whatever, that it's just not for you. And then you just kind of put it down and move on. So there is, I always found with reading, it was always, always a bit tricky really in terms of resourcing. And it's the one that you kind of had to invest, 
you know, more time and, and I suppose in some respects money to be able to generate new ideas and, and new sequences and stuff. So yeah, I I always found the reading one quite tricky and I think you're you spot on when you say, <clears throat> you know, the context of a cohort is is vital because, you know, the life experience we said earlier are kind of intrinsic in them understanding the the text really. So yeah, yeah it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um we are we're going to go to news now um so stay with us uh it's it's the latest news education news from around the country um and when we come back we will be talking uh, a little bit more about how you kind of juggle your class commitments with your your core curriculum commitments as well so um stay tuned and we will be back on the twilight show with me ben thomas and my guest today becky birchnuff this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools Week reports the government is set to offer overseas teachers who come to England to teach languages or physics a £10,000 relocation premium under a new trial. The premium would be open to both trainee and established teachers working outside of the UK and would be paid at the end of their first term. Under the plan, there would be no need for the money to be paid back. The Department for Education said the trial could support up to 400 people to relocate, with the full cost adding up to £4 million. According to recent data, secondary school teacher recruitment targets have been missed for all but one of the past 10 years and last year they fell short by 40%. The pilot for this new programme will run in the next academic year. In strike action news, industrial action has been suspended by NEU members in Wales. The action is halted whilst a new pay offer is considered. In a statement reported on a range of media platforms, NEU leaders in Wales said that following discussions with the Welsh Government, a new revised and fully funded pay offer will be put to members. The planned strike for the 15th and 16th of March will now not take place, although these dates remain for action in England and will continue to go ahead as planned. The revised offer for those teaching in Wales is said to be worth a total of 11.8%. The offer will be voted on by members of the NEU in Wales via electronic ballot. NEU leaders Dr Mary Bowstead and Kevin Courtney thank the Welsh Government for the constructive approach to finding a resolution and contrasted it with the behaviour of Gillian Keegan, England's Secretary of State for Education, who they said was preventing talks in England by refusing talking to ACAS. Teachers in Scotland, who are members of the EIS union, have also voted to accept their latest pay offer. This will see a 7% rise backdated to April 2022, a further 5% next month and another 2% in January. NESUWT members in Scotland have yet to vote on the offer. Student loans are back in the spotlight after changes to the system. Channel 4 reports that student loan repayments will rise for those in the next cohort of students in England, as the repayment threshold is to be dropped. The government has said this makes the loan system fairer for taxpayers and students, 
whilst education experts say it will make low to middle income graduates worse off. Current students will only make 9% repayments when they earn over £27,295 a year, or £2,274 a month, or £524 a week in the UK. However, if you're starting an undergrad course or qualify for an advanced learner loan on or after August the 1st, 2023, those students will pay 9% of their income over the lower threshold of £25,000 a year, 2,083 a month or 480 per week. Students on the new plan won't be expected to make payments until April 2026, but the length of repayment is also changing. Current students pay until the debt is cleared or for 30 years, but new students will pay until the debt is cleared or for 40 years. Full details of the changes plus comments on the impact many believe it will have can be found on Channel 4's website and all data has been subject to the outlet's fact-check system. Finally, a writer who wrote a book on the topic of online misogyny has given an interview to The Guardian. Laura Bates wrote Men Who Hate Women, The Extremism No One Is Talking About, and it was published in 2020. In the interview, she raises concerns about the widening gap between generations who have never known a world without the internet and those older generations struggling to understand and keep up. She talks in particular of the impact this is having on what she describes as the millions of girls who are realising the impossibility of escaping from harassment, revenge porn, deep fakes and the difficulties in navigating a world online. Bodice form, not just an issue with influencers like Andrew Tate. In fact, she says she wasn't even aware of him until last year. This, she says, is worrying in itself as there is a danger that the well-intentioned coverage will only boost his profile and that if and when his influence wanes, many will think it is a case of problem solved, when actually the problems and attitudes that give rise to people like Tate will continue. Full details of the article can be found on the Guardian website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So I just realized is that I um I can mute the mic and I've done what is this like the fifth or sixth show I've done now and I've always like literally when the news has been on or whatever I've another people have been giving answers I've literally just been sat here as still as I could um not realizing that I can mute the mic so um absolutely ridiculous there we go but that's that's me all over really um right so just had the news and you were talking earlier about relocating and I know that this is, uh, you know, this is to do with kind of overseas people coming in and, and relocating. I mean, 10 grand is still a lot of money to change, right? That is, that's quite incredible. Um, how would you have felt if someone said to you, right, Becky, you got to move to Reading, but you get five, five K for that. Would you, would that have softened the blow a little bit or would it have kind of made the same thing? I mean, I think I think the result would have been exactly the same, but I think yeah, it would definitely soften the blow. I think um, it's very interesting when I said about the fact that I did my PGCE as a math specialism, and the reasoning behind that was definitely because of my passion for maths. And it was only mm. once I was on the course and accepted on the course that I then realised that the people who were not doing the math specialism actually got a smaller amount of the bursary right, okay. um, 
or, or something like that. And it was only once I'd kind of applied that I did that. And that it's very interesting how they are kind of trying to soften the blow for different people, whether that be uh, a course um, to become a teacher, a teacher training course or or relocation. I mean, I remember they, they used to do things called golden handshakes, which weren't really aimed at primary sector. It was more to do with secondary schools. Um, I think it was kind of late, I say noughties, but, you know, kind of into the early 10s and 11s and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and they were giving sort of like lump sums to people. I think it was lump sums, people that were doing um, kind of at-risk, low-take-up subjects to teach. So, you know, this is not the first time that, that the government have tried to... <laughs> bribe people I don't know with with kind of money to to teach in certain areas I just think I'd, I'd be so interested to see how many people they get for for 10 grand and relocating them from a different country to you know to Blackburn or somewhere no, no disrespect to anyone who's listening Blackburn by the way but you know it's kind of it's an interesting concept of swapping you know where they did live for for a part in this this country really so we'll see how that one pans out but it you know, you think about all that news and it it is really money related and it's kind of, you know, that incentivizing in, in terms of the financial reward. And yet, <clears throat> you know, we've got people going on a strike this week over the next two days and have been throughout the, you know, the last two months on and off to do with actual conditions of, of teachers that have been in the profession for for a while and people that have come into to the profession new as well. So it, it's all a bit muddled and it's all a bit bizarre. And I think, you know, without getting too political, it just kind of shows where where they're at really into the clutch and straw. So it will be it'll be interesting to see uh, a if they actually implement that ten grand resettlement fee. I guess it is, but also how many people take it up. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, right, where were we? So we left before we went to the news to talk about resourcing, really, weren't we? Um, and and I guess really the the key question for for you, Becky, because you do do you know, some, some fairly hefty jobs. How do you, how do you kind of juggle being in six effectively full-time and your kind of core curriculum leadership as well? Like how, how do you, how do you manage your time? How do you manage your week and how do you make sure that you, you know, you get everything done, um, you know, to, to the best of your ability? Um, it's very tricky um for anyone working in schools i think about you know managing their time and making sure that they use their time effectively um as the workload you know we've discussed that um one of the things that i've started doing and has really made an impact is is timetabling so when i looked at the the curriculum for the children and everything that we have to squeeze into a year it can seem so overwhelming um but breaking it down into a timetable and being really quite strict with those times of I've got half an hour to do this, I've got an hour to do this, everything all of a sudden slotted into place. So it's something that I've started doing with my own time before and after school and, and timetabling that to make sure that um, if I've got a certain amount of tasks, I kind of try and get them all, all done. And I'm not saying that it works every time. It definitely mm. doesn't. But it's something that's kind of helped me when it comes to prioritizing different tasks that I have to do within my role. Yeah, I think I think the the problem that we we take it back to our context is that we're a small school, and so you know with, with a one form entry 
um, school in in theory, it becomes a little bit more dependent on on what other people are doing. So, <clears throat> you know, obviously, if you need cover, it tends to be me or, or someone else that, that covers you. But then, if you get hit with an absence on top of that, it kind of what what that timetable would look like. And I I always found that really difficult when I was when I was a class teacher and I needed cover that that idea of kind of relying on other people to be able to come in and and, and cover you or or do bits and pieces with your class while you were able to go and monitor you know because ultimately a, a core when well, any leader really in terms of subject you can't do you can't really do the monitoring properly after the school day has ended because you you know as you said earlier the driver now for for most core subject leaders should be you know talking to the kids and and kind of sharing in the learning and their experiences with with them so it i think i found it really frustrating when i had to rely on other people to be able to cover me or there was a problem doing that because actually that that juggling was was really important really um i mean in in terms of that timetable do you do you find that you and i know it's difficult to say from a class teaching point of view but do you find that the core curriculum does take up quite a lot of your kind of week in terms of, of how you structure it? Or is it kind of one of those things that you've you've set up to a point where you know that you can just do kind of light touches every every week or two weeks or whatever it is? Do you find that it is quite a time consuming part of your your professional life? Yeah, I think there's definitely um over the cycle of an academic year where it can be more time consuming and then times where it can be more light touch and it's about balancing that particularly with a year six class who also go through a cycle of times when they're going to need a lot more um of you and then times where you can also kind of rely on those other people to cover um mm. i think one of the huge benefits of being class-based and core curriculum is that I do it every day. I teach the the subjects every day. So I know the challenges that the teachers are facing. And I also know the expectations that I'm setting are achievable and, and kind of can be shown and role modeled in that way. Um, mm. And that's a huge benefit because you, you know that where you're coming from is a position of understanding. Um, so I, I like to try and phrase it that way as the benefits of it. Um, and then I like to think about the different needs at different points in the year and how that can be kind of structured so that both kind of roles are met. Um, but yeah, there's definitely times where I need to put a lot more into it and I, my monitoring really needs to be the focus. And then there's definitely times where I can do more light touching and just kind of individualized work where i'm just working with maybe one teacher or or one class just to support them yeah i mean it's <clears throat> it, it's a tricky one because um you know if i if i you know i think back to my experiences and i was in i was last full-time in the class what two years ago and i i distinctly remember saying to to louisa probably around easter of that year just saying, look, in the nicest possible way, all the stuff that I'm having to do and monitor out of class, <clears throat> I feel like, to be blunt, my class is just getting in the way of that because I couldn't, I found it really difficult at that point to dedicate equal amounts of time or rather kind of give more time to my class because the amount of, you know, of, of kind of assessing and monitoring and looking at the whole school and then kind of almost 
you know, light touching my class. Obviously, I wasn't in year six. I'm not saying that that's a major deal breaker, but it it wasn't a kind of um, a, a core assessment year. But, you know, also the school was in a very different place at that time. But I just distinctly remember having that conversation going, look, it's, it is so difficult to juggle all of the whole school expectations that I've got and the roles I've got and also teach a class full time. So, you know, I often say, you know, I've said it, being a being a leader like a middle leader for for any subject and full-time is is easily one of the the hardest things i've ever done personally professionally um so yeah it's 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 a challenge and it is difficult and i think you know speaking from experience you you you're able to get that um you know you're able to strike that balance really really well um which is which is key really um i mean I, i i guess really like you know, talking about the successes that you've had professionally, but also historically where your your passion has lied in in kind of laid, lied, I don't know, I'm gonna get my grammar right, um, in, in maths. What for you now, you know, what are your key what are your key drivers in, in education? Because obviously, you know, you've you've been doing this for, for eight, nine years. You know, what what are your your kind of goals i guess but also what's what's kind of driving you on at the moment to to keep doing what you're doing because you know we we hear all these stats about people leaving the profession in the first few years and you know teacher uh recruitment crisis and all this sort of stuff like what's what's doing it for you at the moment why do you keep doing what you're doing apart from the fact you work with me obviously apart from the fact i work with you um i mean not to be soppy but definitely the team that i'm working with is is a factor in that um correct (laughs) but um i think it's just remembering the why why and and like you kind of hinted at there the passion that i have for it and and why we turn up every day and why why that's important to me um you know i i was very lucky with some of the teachers that i had and some of the educational experiences that i had and the more i speak to some of my teacher friends i i realize how that's not always the case um, and then i think working in the schools that i've worked in there's always been that element of um trying to support these children who who don't have um you know a different economic background to to others and and to maybe don't have those experiences that other children do have and i think that's been a big motivator in in what i do um and then when it comes to the the leadership of the core curriculum the more i do it the more i realize how um supporting those members of staff can have that wider impact in the whole school life and how you can have an impact in that whole school ethos and culture and how important that is to everybody who works there who who learns there who who visits there um and and how you can really really contribute towards that and the importance of that for for all of those stakeholders involved um so yeah that that would be a big motivator right now is just thinking about how those children get that quality education and particularly where we are in a primary school how we're setting those children up for their whole career in education you know you know they're going to go on to a secondary school where they're going to have to make choices on maybe which subjects they study and that's going to have an impact on on their lives and you know that you want to set them up for success mm, i think 
you know, without going down the whole secondary school ready phrase, which is awful. Th- th- there is an element of truth in that. You know, we we talk regularly about about children and and kind of the experiences that they have with us, but also kind of what what their experiences will look like when they move to to secondary school. And that's that's obviously a massive consideration in terms of what we do, in terms of you know getting them ready for that emotionally and academically, but also making sure that the the change isn't isn't too much of a of a shock for them. So yeah, I kind of get that. It's it's you know it's, it's a really important part of 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 what we do. Um, I mean, in in terms of of where you're at, you know, do you because some people like leading the subjects, they're just not keen on the kind of the whole get up and talk to people and, and present stuff. <clears throat> do you do you find that part of your role enjoyable and, and kind of leading that whole school development process? Is that something that you kind of relish? Yeah, I think there's definitely people who kind of shy away from that, that maybe. Um, but no, I think I think I enjoy it because... I'm it's what interests me and it kind of what what gets me going a little bit so when it comes to maths and English and and things like that I think I like talking about it and I like um which is why I said I'd do the podcast I think um (laughs) not because I literally need someone like can you just come on and talk about it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah no it 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 definitely interests me and I you know I like the intricacies of it and the different things that and directions that schools can go um and and I've been on a few different journeys with different schools about their school development and how different they are and the different um successes and achievements you have professionally within that both yourself and as a group of staff I think you know and a lot of that can be around the curriculum as well as other Mm. parts of school life I mean the curriculum is just one part of it um, but I like the different discussions and I like um, hearing other ch- other people's kind of opinions or ideas or different directions that they've taken on it. So, so yeah, I, I like those kind of public discussions and forums where you can talk about things like that. Um, and I've never, um, I've never really been too nervous about in terms of, you know, public speaking or anything like that about it because I am... Um, I always just kind of see it as an opportunity to kind of gain that understanding a little bit more. Um, and yeah, really have that contribution to a wider school kind of culture and ethos. Mm. It, you know, ultimately it's, it's about sharing best practice in the, in the, in the most effective way that, that not, you know, not you personally, but just generically in terms of a, a core curriculum readers can and how, as you said earlier about getting the intent and the message across and, you know, ultimately, as as I said, kind of sharing that best practice element, um, which is which is really really important. Talking of sharing best practice, here is a message from our sponsors, John Cap. Uh, so stay with us. We will be right back to close out the Twilight Show with me, Ben Thomas, uh, in just a few seconds. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. 
and what a catalog it is. There's loads of titles on there. So um, yeah, go and check it out. <clears throat> Have a look. There will definitely be something that you will be able to use in your schools and in your professional development as well. So yeah, that's John Cat. Um, have a look at their bookshop online and see what you can pick up. Right, Becky. Um, we're kind of amazingly we're sort of right to the end of the show, pretty much. Um, and the one thing that we haven't talked about really, we talked about challenges of of your current role. We did that earlier on in the show, but one thing we didn't talk about really is kind of the core curriculum as a <clears throat> as a whole. So if you were kind of, I don't know, a red kite and you were looking down on the core curriculum, it being your prey, for example. I mean, this is a really rubbish analogy, but bear with me. Um, what would you what would you kind of say was the main challenges of the core curriculum in this kind of current education setup across the UK? Is that a big enough question? Is that like a large enough question for you? That is a massive question, yeah. Um, I like the red kite analogy as well. I like them since yeah. I moved to Reading. Um, yeah, I think in terms of, I mean, there's lots of different ways you could take this. Um, in terms of the subject leadership of those sort um, core curriculum subjects, um, I've definitely noticed kind of a shift in the... I, I want to say of accountability or responsibility for them. I mean, I kind of briefly spoke about how the first Ofsted that I went through, um, the experiences that I had there, and they were very, very different to the experiences that I've had in more recent Ofsted with the Ofsted framework as it is, and how detailed you have to kind of talk about those subjects and, and the the information and the data you have to have you know, not children's data, but the information that you have to have on those subjects and the grasp of that subject that you have to have. Um, and kind of sitting alongside that is also the changes that have happened to the curriculum itself. So, you know, we've kind of, well, over the eight years that I've gone through, if we look at maths, for example, the very first time I teach maths and people would kind of shiver in horror at it now is with the four-way differentiation and you're going to do this sheet and you're going to do this sheet and you know the idea of concrete resources was kind of starting to be talked about but wasn't really evident in a lot of different lessons and you know when I went to university they were talking about oh you could do this but you know if you differentiate this way you don't kind of have to kind of thing and the subject how that's developed now and the idea of mastery within the maths and then also um now when we talk about adaptive teaching and how we kind of structure it that way and um mm. so i think it's an ever-changing landscape that you've kind of got to respond to um and you you kind of have to look at those and navigate those and making it applicable to the the children and the, the context that you're in which is also constantly changing and you know now we've just we talk about the pandemic and the the impact that that had um particularly on the children and their learning and then you can talk about um the cost of living crisis and how different experiences that you wanted to do with children maybe now aren't always as accessible so i think it's about the constant change and just keeping on top of that and at the same time you're keeping on top of your curriculum and your 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 monitoring and you're trying to maintain those standards in an ever-changing world 
I think it's a good point about the, the the changes and the kind of you know he talks about adaptive teaching and and you know the four way differentiation stuff like that. But like that's kind of to me that's always what you know good leadership looks like in terms of right. I've got all this information. I've got to change all this like yesterday. So what you know what what's your kind of key priority and how are you going to kind of drip feed but also kind of shield people from um you know the kind of like another analogy but like the monsoon of information that's coming through like how what are you going to focus on first of all and how are you gonna you know always coming back to that intent that you mentioned earlier and the the kind of the roadmap and stuff like what what are the key elements of it so that, that you know that's a really good point in terms of you know even in your career how how stuff's changed and moved on and you know the kind of the expectations of of external um, sources to be able to use this stuff regularly and and also you know have make it make an impact basically so it's it's a really really interesting point about that in terms of how you know how those things are kind of fed into a school's culture and how they become the norm and and the children can relate to it and they can talk about it and they can access it and ultimately kind of make progress for their age group and, and what they're needing so yeah so um, it's a really good point that um you know com- coming away from you know the the job that you do and the uh you know the roles that you hold professionally like what what do you do away from teaching to you know not be a teacher 24 7 basically because you know i've i've worked with those people that are just you know they're brilliant teachers but they are just all in like they don't they don't switch off they don't stop they're constantly you know in education forums and 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 marking and, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but in, in terms of you, you know, what do you do to kind of wind down, to relax, to kind of switch off from, from being a year six teacher, but also a, a core curriculum lead? Yeah, I find it really important to switch off and kind of look after myself um, and make sure that you're getting that time, like you said, to kind of fill your cup up so that then you can go to school and give everything. So I think one of the things that I've kind of always been a little bit interested in is 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 sport and being active and exercise and things like that. So um, whether that's watching it, watching sport, I spend a lot of my time watching sport or the documentaries you can watch about sport, but also uh, yoga. And I've recently started running a lot because I got a new um, watch and it tells me that my cardio fitness was not as good as it should be so i've started trying to run a lot more which means that well, i'm trying to read a it lot says more. your cardio fitness isn't good yeah so does it yeah so i had to reflect a little bit on my cardio <laughs> fitness because a lot of the time i go to the gym and I, i'll i like to do a lot of like weightlifting and things like that i was not always keen on cardio work so mm. i've started trying to read a lot more about running to kind of motivate myself to run i think with i think with running like i've i've kind of been in and you know in love and hated running for for so many years but ultimately the the only advice i could give anyone running is just get out and do it you know because you never you never regret going for a run right so it's it's actually you know booting up and then getting out of the house to do it and once you're doing it it's fine if you go 1k great if you go 10k fantastic whatever it is like you never ever regret a run so it's kind of it's one of those things where (laughs) one of the things that i've i've experienced most is just getting out and doing it and and once you're there you're fine um i'm fascinated by this we're gonna have to show me this watch though that it just came up and said 
your cardio is rubbish, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be based on your VO2 max, which I think is very hard to measure. (laughs) It says it it might be hard to measure, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because, I mean, like you said, you never regret a workout, but I always favoured kind of weightlifting in the gym. I never favoured cardio work, so... Yeah, yeah. something I've decided reflected on that was my new year resolution but it kind of it's become a bit a bit bigger thing now that the evenings are lighter and I've got a bit more time to run I don't like running in the dark <laughs> and then, yeah that's the thing it's been so cold as well like it's just been like not so cold to good running weather um, yeah and obviously all the snow and stuff like that so it's yeah it's not been ideal really yeah. um and, and like away from exercise do you what, what are you kind of watching on on I'm not going to mention any streaming services, uh, but uh, you know what are you watching on on stuff at the moment. Do you have time for TV or films or whatever? Yeah, I I, I like TV. Um, I like to go to the cinema if I'm going to watch a film because I like to see it on the big screen. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I like TV, and I've um, I'm excited because tomorrow uh, Ted Lasso comes back out, and I've I absolutely Is it tomorrow. Love it. Does it come back tomorrow? Yeah, season three is tomorrow, and I absolutely adore Ted Lasso. So one of of the things I really like is is kind of reading about and learning about different styles of leadership. And for for people that have not watched Ted Lasso, you might have seen this. It's it's kind of, it is about a football team, Um, but it's, you can watch it and not be absorbed in the football. Like it, it does a really good job of kind of basically using the human element, I think, and then the kind of sporting element separately. Like they're not although they're linked, they're not like intrinsically linked, if that makes sense. So anyone listen to this, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not plugging like a major <laughs> studio TV show that they've spent millions of pounds doing, but it is really good. Like people I know who can't stand football, I've gone, oh yeah, Tad Lasso, like I love it. So yeah, I would highly recommend if you have access to a certain streaming service um, to, to go and watch season one and two if you haven't already. But yeah, the new one comes back tomorrow. I didn't know that. The new one and it never it never fails to put a smile on my face that show this is it right and he is ultimately he's a really good leader because he gets across his message really really well i think anyway so yeah. um yeah and and the mandalorian as well that's back tomorrow isn't it monday so is back yeah so that's, yeah, that'll be tomorrow. tomorrow all this exciting stuff to look forward to how amazing <laughs> becky listen thank you so much for joining me on tuesday twilight show have you have you enjoyed it i have enjoyed it like i said i could talk about curriculum forever so <laughs> um this, this is the thing though isn't it you know people will, will obviously listen live now but people listen to this back and you know there are there are so many good points that you've made about you know leadership of the core curriculum but also like your your passion for it and your enjoyment for it really comes through and i think you know hopefully there'll be people listening to this that are just starting out in their their core curriculum leadership or any any subject leadership really and you've I think you've given some really good you know clear insights into how you you know how you manage that that really important job but also kind of how you get you know the best results out of out of the whole school really so you know thank you so much for you know (laughs) for wasting your Tuesday evening and and jumping on and and talking about it I really appreciate it I hope um you know hope we can get you on again at some point no thank you um Right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, it's good to see kind of the interactions popping up on my screen and all the, all the you know, different people coming in and stuff. It, it, it means a lot. And I hope that you've kind of 
enjoyed the premise and I want to leave you learned something out of it. Um, there's a lot of good shows coming up this week. Um, we've got, uh, let me have a look. I always, I always get to this point. I go, uh, 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 but I can't remember what we're doing. Um, what have we got? Let's have a look. Hold on filler um we've got nathan ginn he's back this thursday talking to dan smith um and this is a really good question actually what's the smallest thing that you've changed about your teaching that's had the biggest impact that's you know that's a really really big question so he's going to be back on thursday evening i believe um we have got poppy gibson in a couple of weeks she's talking about adopted children impact on education which will be a fun one um John Gibbs, a friend of the show, and he was on. I was actually on the the weekly review, which you can you can watch back. I was with him on Sunday. Fantastic insight, you know, really really experienced guy. He's on the morning break with John Gibbs, ironically, um, and he's talking about making sense of race and education. So that'd be really really good. He's got Dr. Sharon Fraser Burgess, which will be quite interesting. So uh, she's on that one with him as well. And obviously, if you've been listening to this, we've been talking about core curriculum leadership uh, with my very special guest, Becky Birchenough. I'll be back in a few weeks' time talking about something completely different. I can't remember what it is, but I'm sure it'll be interesting, hopefully. Uh, have a really good end of the week. Uh, enjoy it. We're nearly, nearly at Easter, um, and I will see you very soon. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. This show is brought